Amen. Hey, grab a seat, and as you do, grab a Bible, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and if you need a Bible, you'll find one under a seat somewhere close by to you, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Um, there are some things in life that it's good to live with a healthy sense of urgency about. Uh, some of us in the room maybe on the urgency scale, are lower than others. Some of us in here, it's like, man, I, I, if I'm honest, I don't really live with a sense of urgency about anything. Others of us in the room, we live with a sense of urgency about everything. Everything is urgent. Everything is urgent. What, what is urgency? I want to define urgency. Urgency is importance, uh, importance requiring swift action. There are some things in life that we need to acknowledge are so important, swift action is required. Uh, I'm, I'm not advocating we get frantic about it. I'm not advocating out of control. But there are some things in life that are so urgent, so important, that action is required and quick action. Let's go. Let's act right now. And today we talk about one of those things, and it is witnessing. What is witnessing? That's kind of a church word if you're newer to the church. Witnessing is testifying or telling about the good news of Jesus Christ, how he redeems, how he saves sinners, how he reconciles us to a holy God. Like we as Jesus people, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, as disciples, should live with a healthy sense of urgency when it comes to witnessing the gospel to those who don't yet know Jesus. And I, I want to just remind us to start. These aren't scare tactics. These, are ho I hope, are just um, reminders for us of why, is, why should the Christian live with such gospel urgency. The first reminder is that every single person walking on this earth has an eternal destination ahead of them. And we believe that the teaching of the Bible is there's two possible eternal destinations. Knowing Jesus into the presence of God for eternity to worship Him and be with Him or to not know Jesus, to not have faith in Jesus and to be separated from God for all eternity in hell. Now, if, if you are not a Christian yet, or you wrestle with that concept, you need to know I'm preaching this message today under um, the, the belief that the Bible teaches that every single person walking on this earth right now, when they die, will either go to heaven or will go to hell. There's urgency to that reality. And the urgency increases when we realize that we don't know. In our finite mind, in our inability to know how many days we have left to walk on this earth and how many days others have left to walk on this earth, um, people don't walk around around us with a, with a countdown clock floating next to them in such a way where we can go, oh, they still have 70 years left. We'll get to them. We don't know. And I think as a, as a culture, we were just slapped in the face with that. When I flipped my TV on on a Sunday evening a few weeks ago, and the first words I heard were, it has now been confirmed Kobe Bryant has passed away. 
Erica and I processed through that that night, and she said, I don't mean this bad, but isn't it just as sad for the other eight people as it is? For and the answer to that is yes. But there's something that happened culturally in that moment where a culture looked at someone, they almost looked at as not a mere mortal. Someone who you would have never guessed that that would be the story, but they boarded a helicopter one Sunday morning And they never got back off the helicopter. And I have to acknowledge, though I, f I don't feel mortal at times, though I feel like I'm 32, statistics should say I should have another 50, 60 years in me, the reality is I can be preaching to you in this moment and three hours from now not make it past the intersection of Worseville and 31. The reality is the guy who sits in the same seat in the coffee shop every morning might not be there tomorrow morning. The reality for our dad or mom or son or daughter or that really good friend, I'm not trying to use preacher scare tactics. I am trying to remind us of the gospel urgency that the Christian should live with. Why? Because eternity is at stake. If you believe this book, I'm pleading with us to understand this book teaches in eternity awaits every single person walking on this globe right now. And we don't know when anyone crosses over into that eternal reality. And this is what makes 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 through 21. I, I find it remarkable. 2 Corinthians 5 has been a well that I've gone back to often. But if I'm honest, and if you're familiar with the Bible, you're going to probably know very well the words we're going to stumble across in verse 17. For if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is, the new has. And we often stop there. And we rejoice in that reality. And we should. But there's some really, really important teaching on the back end of that verse, what is now the reality for those who are now a new creation in Christ, who the old is gone and the new has come? What's the reality of how that new creation one lives? What's the reality for how that new creation one goes and proclaims the message of how someone else can be a new creation one? This is the gospel urgency, I'm praying that the Spirit provokes in us today. I'm praying the Spirit would so quicken our heart today. I'm praying that by the end of this message, we would all be going, why don't I share the gospel every day? A question I've been asking myself this week. Now, hear me. 
I don't plan to, for the next half hour, guilt us on this. I think so many of us feel our inadequacy in this area, am I right? On a Tuesday morning, at a coffee shop, I'm prepping a message on witnessing. A guy comes and he sits at the table right next to me and he violated a rule. There were other open tables around. <laughs> he did not leave the buffer table. And I'm like, what are you doing? And then, very quickly, the Holy Spirit was like, you're prepping a message on witnessing. <laughs> and guess what? I said, I'll get to it. And I looked over and, hey, what do you do? What are you working on? Oh, tell me more about that. Yeah, I'll get to it, God. I'll get to it, God. I'll get to it. No, I'm, I'm working it. I'm getting him there. I'm softening him up. And then he said, hey, all right, I got to run. Hey, man, it's so good to meet you. And out the door he went. And I said, all right, Lord, if he comes back next week, like, <laughs> I'll get to it. And at the end of the message, I'm going to talk about why I didn't share the gospel in that moment and why you can probably resonate with that. But I'm just praying, like, there's no words that I can say today that are going to make us, like, walk out of here emboldened to witness. The Holy Spirit has to do that. And I recognize that like, there's nothing a preacher can say to you to guilt you into becoming a better witness. We'll leave and we'll try it and then we'll... So, God, right now, would you quicken our spirit to be burdened for lost people the way you are? to acknowledge that we're carriers of hope. Our eternity is resting assured in your hands. We have the good news. And so God, would you help us be proclaimers of that? Would you use your word right now as the teaching and the power source to live out this life God, I pray that you would do it today for your glory. Amen. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Now, what in the world is Paul writing about here? Um, Paul, as he writes the letters of 1st and 2nd Corinthians, you realize something. The Corinthian church has some issues. And sometimes I think the Corinthian church, um, we're hard on the Corinthian church, but the truth is, church, we're a church that, yeah, yeah, you can admit it, right? We're a church that has some issues, we're a people that has some issues, and ours might look different than the church in Corinth, but we no less have issues as well. If the Apostle Paul was writing a letter to us today, he would have some things that he wanted to address. One of the things he wanted to address that was going on in the Corinthian church, they, they had 
become so much like the culture around them. They had put such a high value on outward appearance, on externals, on, on measuring how great someone was by how rich they were or how much influence they had or, 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 or just how beautiful they were. And, and Paul, as he's writing to them, you know, Paul had to deal with this personally. Like, the Corinthians were like, hey, uh, Paul, like, man, he writes some strong letters, but have you seen the dude? He's not that impressive. Can you imagine saying that about the Apostle Paul? And so Paul is like, listen, we regard no one according to the flesh. We regard no one according to their outward appearance by how beautiful or their physical stature or, or um, how famous or influence or wealth. We don't, and, and Paul goes on to say, we, we once even regarded Christ in this way. Paul's like, at one time, I would have just told you that this Jesus guy is just some crazy rural, Galilean, apocalyptic teacher leading people astray. He said, at one time, I even regarded Christ according to the flesh. But he's like, we don't regard people according to the outward appearance anymore, according to external things. Why, Paul? Because of the reality of what he says in verse 17. Why don't we regard people according to externals? Because here's the reality of someone who has now met Christ. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a, say it with me, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Now, verse 17 is beautiful. Verse 17 is a well we love to dip our bucket, so to speak, back into often. The promise that verse 17 lays out is so refreshing and encouraging to our heart. But let's acknowledge a couple things about the verse. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the promise only applies to those who are in Christ. The promise that the old is gone, the new has come, only applies to one who is in Christ. And so, the first sense of urgency I want everyone in this room to feel today is this, am I in Christ? And if you don't even know what that means, I want to use another passage to help us understand that. What does it mean to be in Christ? What do you mean I need to be a new creation? How does this work where the old is gone and the new has come? You don't have to turn there. It's going to be on the screen before you. But I want you to see from Ephesians chapter 2 how this new creation reality plays out. What happens with the old being gone and the new coming? How is one in Christ? And so Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 through 3 on the screen. And you were dead... In the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit of this, that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind." These verses unpack the spiritual reality of someone who does not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. 
uh, the very first words, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Before we have relationship with Jesus, we are dead in our sin. We are completely spiritually dead. We have a spiritual flat line. There is nothing we can do to resurrect ourselves. There is nothing we can do to remedy our situation. We are dead. And as dead people walking, what we do is we follow the prince of the power of the air. We follow the enemy. We um, live in the passion of our flesh. We carry out the desires that our body and our mind um, conjure up. We're just feasting on the flesh. We're dead, we're following the way of the enemy, we're feasting on our flesh, and because of that, like the scariest part of these verses to me are this, when we're by nature children of wrath, we were people under the wrath of God. And if you don't yet know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are under the wrath of God right now. And I know that grates against everything inside of you. But the reality is, our old nature, and if you're still in your old nature, you have not met Jesus Christ as your Savior, these things are true of you. And not just you, like the rest of mankind. We all once were in this. And this is unredeemed life right here. But then, something great happens. Keep going, Dakota. But God, being rich in mercy, worship right now. I know you know these verses if you've grown up in church, but worship right now. In order to worship, let me remind us long-time churchgoers, you were so depraved before Jesus. It's an absolute utter miracle that he would lavish his love on us. So let's worship. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. He made us alive with Christ. Christ, by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved. What's the message Paul is pounding here? For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, 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 not a result of works. <laughs> Why did I just do that? Because it sometimes blows my mind, no matter how much you preach to someone, it's grace, it's grace, it's grace, it's grace. And then it's their turn to talk. They say, yeah, but I've just not done enough. <sighs> Not a result of works. Not a result of works. Be free. 
If you've grown up in another church tradition that taught you, do this, do this, do this, do this, and you got to earn it, you got to try hard, and maybe cross your fingers, do a thing, and hope. Your hope is secure by the work Jesus Christ has done. You are saved by grace through faith. It is not grace plus. Nowhere in the Bible does it teach grace plus keep the sacraments. Nowhere in the Bible does it teach grace plus know all the Christianese language. For you have been saved by grace faith. This is not of works. It's not your own doing. It's the gift of God so that none of us ain't got nothing to boast about. It's a Brock translation right there. This is the in Christ thing. Look at me, every eye. Have you thrown yourself onto the mercies of God displayed to you on the cross of Jesus Christ? Have you completely thrown yourself and said, Jesus, your grace, period, save me. I can't climb a ladder to you. I can't be good enough to get to you. I'm so tired. I'm so sick of wondering, have I done enough? Will you cast yourself on the mercies of God today and by faith proclaim Christ as Lord in this seat right there right now? If anyone is in Christ, this reality that I'm saved by His grace alone, I've surrendered my life to the reality of who He is and what He's done, He's a new creation. That old stuff we read before is gone in this beautiful, beautiful Beautiful statement here in verse 10 of Ephesians chapter 2. Once one is in Christ, we are in his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Think of where just this one paragraph in the Bible has taken us. Think of just where this one paragraph from verse number one, you're dead. You're following the enemy. You're feasting on your flesh. You're an object of the wrath of God. But God in His mercy has given Christ to us. By grace you are saved. You are now God's workmanship. You're His handiwork created in Him for good works that you should walk in them. Gospel, y'all. Anyone that's in Christ New creation. Are you a new creation? Are you a new creation? Have you trusted Christ? And please, in your mind right now, don't be saying, well, okay, now I'll leave and I'll work really hard to be a new creation. No. Will you accept the free gift of the shed blood of Jesus Christ on your behalf and surrender to Him today? Now, once that matter of urgency, y'all still with me? We good? Once that matter of urgency is taken care of, the Christian, the Christian, 
The Jesus follower now lives with this sense of urgency. Keep reading in the passage. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The oldest, uh, the oldest passed away. Behold, the newest come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. Isn't that a beautiful word? Reconciled? To be restored into a right relationship? Isn't that a beautiful word? Isn't that a beautiful thing when you see it happen? Isn't it beautiful when you've experienced that personally? Estranged from a friend and then reconciled? Estranged from a family member and then reconciled? You know it when you even see it. Like, you know, I spent a lot of time in coffee shops working on sermons. And you can see when like some reconciliation conversation has just happened and it's gone from like tense in the beginning to hugs and tears at the end and I'm over there in the corner like (laughs) beautiful now how much more this sinful people reconciled to a holy God so let's stop here all of this for the first point okay I am a new creation who's been reconciled to God through Christ. I'm a new creation who's been reconciled to God through Christ. All of that set up to now talk about how does a reconciled one live? How does a reconciled one take up his arms, so to speak, And take on a ministry of reconciliation. Keep reading here. Verse 18. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of, what's the word? We now have, as reconciled ones to God, we now have the ministry of reconciliation. Now what in the world is the ministry of reconciliation? Let's let the following verses kind of help us understand what is the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation stop and let that sink in god has now entrusted to his people the message of reconciliation. What is the message of reconciliation? It is the gospel. We are now people who carry a message. We are people who have experienced the joy of the gospel. We are people who have believed the gospel. And now we are people who have the message of reconciliation keep going. What do we do with this message? Verse 20, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through who? God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled 
to God. Second point, I now have a ministry of telling others how they can be reconciled to God as well. If you really stop and think about it, think about what some of these verses just told us. That God has given us a message of reconciliation, um, that we're ambassadors for Christ. God is making his appeal through us. And then Paul is imploring, we implore you on behalf of God, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Um, when you think of an ambassador, what often comes to mind? World ambassador, country ambassador, some sort of political, geopolitical idea of an ambassador. I have no idea who that is, but ambassador. An ambassador is this, an accredited diplomat sent as an official representative. An ambassador is an accredited diplomat sent as an official representative. So when you think about the fact that we are called ambassadors for Christ, we're accredited diplomats sent as an official representative. What are our accreditations? Christ! Have you ever gotten in somewhere and you're like, I so don't belong here? And someone's like, how are you in here? Him, right? Like he belongs here. I don't. What are our accreditations to be ambassadors for Christ? Period. And now he has sent us as an official diplomat carrying the message of reconciliation, telling the world, I'm reconciled to God. I was a sinful, broken man, an amazing, mighty, perfect Savior, died for my sin, and now he's reconciled me in perfect relationship with a holy God. We carry that message. So if we're ambassadors, and if God, if we really believe what he said here, that he has entrusted to us the message of reconciliation, that he is making his appeal through us, I come back to this question, Brock, why don't you share the gospel every day? Answers? First one, I'm distracted. I'm distracted. Anyone with me? By good things. By great things. But I can go through a whole week without even thinking about sharing the gospel with someone who doesn't yet know Jesus Christ. Why? Because I'm distracted by a whole bunch of other things. So, some homework for that one. Read Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. I should say 1 through 10. Read Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. Read this passage, 2 Corinthians 5, 16 to 21. Let me give you another one, not on there. Read Romans 10, 14 and 15. Every morning you get up. Just this week, just read it every morning you get up. And as you're reading it, just like let God's word stoke and you quicken your spirit for a sense of gospel urgency. Because by 9 a.m., I can be so distracted 
by other things other than heralding, proclaiming, shouting the good news to people who don't yet know Christ. Uh, why don't I share the gospel every day? I think here's a big one. I'm scared. I'm scared. So the guy who violated the buffer table rule, I was scared. I wasn't distracted in the moment. It was front on my mind. I wasn't yet what I'll get to with the third one, unprepared. I think, I think I'm prepared to walk through the gospel with someone. I was scared. I was scared of a guy I don't even know. And I just had to like ask myself as I watched him walk out, walk down the steps, go to his car, what are you so scared of? What if he thinks I'm dumb? Who cares? A lot of people do. (laughs) So, homework for that. Will you pray this prayer just every morning with me this week? And this prayer comes in the spirit of Ephesians 6, 19. God, give me words to open my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Just in the spirit of Ephesians 6, 19, and just praying that every morning, God, give me words to open my mouth boldly today to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. And then I think for many of us, why don't I share the gospel every day, this third one? I'm, I'm just unprepared. I just don't feel adequate to. I don't know how to. So some homework is this, practice. Just practice. Isn't it true we don't feel prepared to do anything before we actually just start to do it again and again and again? So just practice this week. What are some ways that you can share the gospel this week? Uh, The first one I list here, share your story slash God's story. Just share your testimony. Share what God has done in your life. Share uh, and, and just set your testimony up into these three buckets. Before Christ, when he saved you, and life since Christ. But I put your story slash God's story because in sharing your testimony, don't miss sharing God's story of the gospel when you share it. And don't settle for generalities. The big man upstairs is just so good. Say the name. Jesus. And say it early on. And once you say it, you'll become more comfortable to just keep saying it. But say the name. Talk about Jesus and talk about what he's done and how he's redeemed you and how he's reconciled you. Share your story, but make sure as you're sharing it, you're sharing God's story in there as well. Another way, just this is my favorite. Walk through Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 with someone and just let the word be your guide. And you're like, okay, how do I go from everyday conversation to Bible open, we and another person just talking about it. You know, frankly, you just go there. I'm not one of these guys who advocates like the corny, cheesy transition, right? Some sort of like reach, just, just go like, hey, um, this is going to be kind of weird, but I'm a Christian. Has anyone ever talked to you about Jesus? Or where do you stand on Jesus? Just go there. And you'll know very quickly. 
And then before you know it, it was one of the coolest things. A couple years ago, sitting at Starbucks with a guy, just literally step by step through Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. And guess what? He got saved. And guess what? Step by step through Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 with a lot of other people. And in that moment, they didn't get saved. You can't save people. You're an ambassador. You've been entrusted with a message. God's making his appeal through you. And guess what? It is God who saves. And you entrust those results to him. Another one, and this is one we're going to be teaching on more in our church in the months to come, is this five gospel words. Five gospel words. What are the five gospel words? I encourage you to write these five down. Put them in the front of your Bible. Make sure you have them because these are great ways to just begin talking to someone about the gospel. The first word is this, God. The gospel starts with God. You're talking about who God is. Genesis 1 and 2, Romans 1, 19 and 20. Other passages that you can think of, talk about who God is. Talk about the fact that He is creator. He is the one who's made us. He is the one redeeming a lost and broken world. And talk about God. The first word is God. And the scripture, Genesis 1 and 2, Romans 1, 19 and 20. The second word is sin. No one, no one can ultimately be saved if they don't know what they need saved from. Like, there is no sharing the gospel by parachuting over the reality of sin. People need to hear that we have transgressed against that God we were just telling them about. Genesis 3, Isaiah 59, verse 2, Romans 3, 23. Use those passages, use other passages, but talk about we are sinful people. Broken. The third word, redemption. That's a cool word. We should name our church something to do with that. Talk about the Redeemer. Talk about how He's redeemed. Talk about the fact that our sin deserved penalty. It deserved death. But God sent His Son, who is our Redeemer. He bought us back. He purchased us from our sin with the price of His blood. Talk about the redemption in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. Romans 3, 22 to 26, other passages, God, sin, redemption, and then here's where it becomes applicational, believe. When Paul says here, I implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. When he says God making his appeal through us, we're appealing for people to believe this gospel message, to cross over from death to life, to go from blind to sight. Will you believe and trust Jesus Christ today? John 11, verses 25 to 27, Romans 10, 9 and 10. And then the beautiful outcome of life. Life. God, sin, redemption, believe, life. Experience eternal life. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. 1 John 5, 11 through 13. Romans 6, 23. Why don't we share the gospel every day? And here's the deal. Why not start today? Small groups, small groups. You ready? Here's what we're saying to each other. Who'd you share the gospel with today? It's coming, y'all. And if you ain't in a small group, we're coming for you. (laughs) 
when we see each other at the grocery who are you sharing the gospel with today? Who have you shared the gospel with today? We're ambassadors. We have the hope. We've been given the message of reconciliation. How do we just bottle that up and stick a cork on it and tuck it away nicely inside of us? We can't. You know that, right? There's too much at stake. May God lead us into a life of witness. Now, last verse. If you're serving communion, you can head to the back and get ready for this. But I want to set up communion with how Paul puts an exclamation on this passage right here. For our sake, verse 21, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So the fact of the matter, we carry a message of reconciliation of the one who knew no sin yet took the curse of sin upon himself to go to a cross to shed his blood so that we might become the righteousness of God. To buy us back from our sin, to give us his righteousness, to be clothed in his righteousness, to have our hope, our eternal hope secure, and to now be called into the great joy of this ministry of reconciliation with our life. And so don't go to work this week just looking to punch the clock and to go home. Recognize you work this week with people who desperately need to be redeemed by Christ. Don't go to school this week just for the purpose of going to class, turning in assignments. Recognize the deaths all around you are people who need to hear the redemption offered to them in Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit will prompt you to approach a random stranger. Would you obey? The Holy Spirit will prompt you to pick up the phone and talk to someone who is the total opposite of a random stranger. A brother, a sister, a mom, a dad, a son, or daughter. Would you obey? And so... Come on up and begin to pass out the elements for communion. The power for this is in the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. We end our time here today fixing our eyes on that sacrifice. Communion is a time for us to remember that sacrifice for those who are Christians and who have believed the gospel to take, their ta- to take time right now to remember the shed blood of Jesus on the cross, his body broken for us. The Bible tells us to examine our hearts in this time. This is a big deal to God. And so would you slow your heart down? Would you let the Holy Spirit uh, prompt you? Would you let him point out sin? Would you let him convict? Would you repent? Would you search your heart and let God search it? I'll come back to lead us through the elements here in a moment two cups stacked on top of each other. Take both, inner circle, gluten-free for those who need it. Let's remember a sacrifice and I'll be back up.